Thanks for listening to the Three Strands Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. I want to kind of get right to it today. Each week of this series, I've been reading you the same two verses from Psalm chapter 42. I'm going to read them to start today again also because they kind of set the framework for this whole series. They're where I got the title from about a year ago when I was reading this chapter in Psalms. This kind of idea came to me, and this is where it came from. So Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2 says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and see the face of God? A guy who just wants to be closer to God. He wants to have a a more intimate, deeper connection with the Lord. And that's what this series is all about, that we would become literally like the deer who are so thirsty for a drink from a cool stream of water that they'll risk anything to get down there and get that drink. They just can't wait to get there each day. And that's what I want our relationship with the Lord to be like. And I hope by the end of this series, you'll feel just a little bit more connected with him, a little bit more intimate, a little bit deeper in your relationship with the Lord. Because wouldn't that be wonderful if every five or six weeks we could just be a little bit closer to the Lord? a little bit more content in our relationship with him, a little bit deeper in our understanding of him. Instead of spending our whole lives opening up the Bible and being like, that doesn't make any sense to me, or instead of wondering our whole lives why we keep making the same mistakes over and over again, instead of wondering our whole lives why there seems to be this disconnect between me and God, why other people seem to love him and be in love with him, and yet I seem to be at arm's length from him. Wouldn't it be great if every five or six weeks we could just take one more step closer to him? in a relationship. And so that's what I want us to get out of this series. And so if you were here last week, we talked about idols. Nopi kind of mentioned this. Nopi actually said something right from my notes today, and I promise you that we didn't talk about it ahead of time. So when I say it, I don't want you to accuse me later of copying him, all right? Because it was like from the Holy Spirit, original from the Holy Spirit to both of us apparently, okay? So, but uh, he literally like quoted right from my notes. Maybe he looked at it when I was laying my Bible in the back this morning. I don't know. He's He's been known to cheat at stuff before, so maybe that's what happened. But last week we talked about idols. And I said, if you're going to get closer to the Lord, if you're going to deepen your relationship with him, if you're going to have a more intimate connection with the God of the universe, then you've got to get all the things out of your life that are taking his place. And, and, And without even realizing it, so easily we can take God off the throne of our life and elevate other people or other things to that same position. And before we know it, we're worshiping all these other things in our life, like money, or like success, or like some other relationship that might even be a good relationship. It could be your kids, or your spouse, or a friend. And all of a sudden, good things become bad things because they've replaced the best thing. And you got to get those things out of your life. And I want you to know it's encouraging to me when we walk out of here and I get to hear stories from you about how you're hearing God's truth and putting it into practice. And you're you're using courage to walk out of here and say things like, you know what, i got to walk away from that relationship. Or i got to make some new priorities financially in my life. Or i got to get serious about some commitments to certain things. Or i got to get rid of this technology in my life because it's killing me. It's becoming my God. And I don't want to be addicted to this anymore. That's encouraging to me when I hear you guys doing stuff like that. And so I know some of you walked out of here last week 
And people, some people who aren't even here now walked out of here last week. And some people that weren't here last week and aren't here today listened online and put some of this stuff into practice. That's encouraging for me that you wanted to strip those idols out of your life and stop worshiping false gods, the gods that our parents worship, the gods that the culture around us worships. And that's encouraging for me. And so I hope some of you are able to do that. And if you missed that session, I hope you'll go back and listen to that session online. But now you're left thinking like, okay, I stripped all this stuff out of my life. I got serious about my relationship with the Lord and I wanted to walk away from some things that have been idols in my life that I've been clinging on to for happiness and fulfillment. But now there's this emptiness inside of me. What do I do with that? All the things that I used to run to to feel good about myself when I was stressed out or pressure was mounting or I was sad or discouraged. All those things, you told me last week I shouldn't run to those things. I should kick them out of my life, kick them to the curb, burn them down, get rid of them. And so now I'm left like, what do I do now when I'm lonely or discouraged? What do I do now when I'm stressed out or overworked or pressure seems to be mounting? Because you told me last week I shouldn't run to anything but God, so what do I do now? And that's what this week's all about. Because you can't just kick all the bad stuff out of your life. You also got to pour all the good stuff into your life. You can't just drain out all the bad stuff and then walk around your whole life empty on the inside. No, you got to fill the inside up with the stuff that really satisfies you. The stuff that really fulfills you. The stuff that really fills the voids in your life. The real God. That's what I want to talk with you about today. And you're like, what does that video we watched have to do with it? But... I was thinking of a title for today, and the title I came up with for today is this. It's a me thing. And what I want to share with you today is if there's a disconnect between you and God, if you feel like he's at arm's length from you, if you feel like we just don't seem to click, or I just don't seem to have the same connection with him that other people seem to have, or that I've always thought I could have, I want you to take a good hard look at yourself in the mirror today and decide it's a me thing. That it's not you, it's me, Lord. If there's a problem in your relationship, it isn't that God has been ignoring you, it's that you've been ignoring him. It isn't that God has abandoned you, it's that we've abandoned him. It isn't that God has been angry or indifferent to you, it's that we've been angry or indifferent to him. He's in the exact same place he's always been, standing right beside you or right behind you, inviting you into a deep, loving relationship with him. And we've resisted it. We're the ones that have the fault. If there's a problem in that relationship, you can't blame him. All right, see if you can help. We got a small crowd today, but see if you can help me out. So look at, let's practice this. I want you to practice this because when you go home today, I want you to be able to look in the mirror and say it's a me thing. So I want you to just look at somebody sitting close to you, and I want you to just say to them, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. All right, it's not you, it's me. Some of you have been waiting a long time to say that. It's not... Some of you have been waiting a long time to hear that. It's not you, it's me, all right? And then just quietly in your heart, we just kind of like to God, to God right now, we just say the same thing. God, it's not you, it's me. Whatever's going wrong in my life, whatever problems I got, whatever I'm unable to deal with, it's not you, God, it's me. Will you just practice saying that inside your heart to him? Because when you go home today, I want you to get in the practice of saying that each day this week to yourself. Hey, man, something's going wrong. I'm not dealing well with this. I'm feeling overloaded. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like I'm about to break. I'm feeling like I'm about to break someone. It's not you, God. It's me. Something's off in here. Something's off in me. It's a me thing. 
Jesus hasn't moved anywhere. We are the ones that keep resisting him, the ones that keep ignoring him, the ones that keep rejecting what he's offering us. And I found this story in the Bible in Philippians chapter 3. It's where we're going to spend most of our time today. But Philippians chapter 3, I found this story in the Bible where Paul has this same realization. He has to look himself in the, in the face. He has to look in the mirror. And he has to come to this same realization that it's not you, God, it's me. I'm the problem with this relationship. It's a me thing. So let me give you some background on this chapter before we read through it. At the beginning of chapter 3, and you could read this whole book. is a great book on how to live out the Christian life. This chapter, Philippians chapter 3, we're not going to look at the whole thing. But the whole chapter, great chapter if you want to know, like, what do I do to live a successful Christian life? Philippians chapter 3, read it. We're going to look at just part of it. Let me give you some background on it. He starts the chapter off by saying to all the people, all the church people at Philippi, all the Christians, he starts it off by saying to them, beware of dogs. Now, that sounds like something you'd see on a sign, right? He's like, beware of the dogs. Now, what does he mean by the dogs? He's going to explain it. He's like, beware of those dogs that are out there trying to tell you that to be saved, to be a Christian, to be right with God, you got to get circumcised. Now, we don't think about that at all in our culture today as a cultural thing back then. Circumcision for them was probably more similar to like what baptism is for us today. It's like this symbol that your life was now right with the Lord. And there were people spreading this message around saying, the only way you'll ever be right with the Lord, the only way you'll ever be saved or become a Christian is if you get circumcised. And Paul was like, don't believe these dogs. Don't believe these bums. That's what he's saying, really. They tell you the only way to be right with God is to be circumcised or to do certain things, to perform certain rituals. Those same people are around today out there telling you, you'll never be right with the Lord. You'll never be a Christian. You'll never get saved unless you start dressing the right way. Unless you start reading the right version of the Bible. Unless you start acting the way you're supposed to act. you got to get yourself cleaned up, and then you'll be right with the Lord. And I'm looking through my Bible, and I can't find any of that stuff in here. They just made up a bunch of stuff trying to tell you you'll never be right with the Lord unless you perform all these rituals. Oh, you better go to church and take communion. You better do all these things, because if you don't, you'll never be right with the Lord. Beware of those people, he says. Beware of those people trying to tell you you got to perform a bunch of rituals or do a bunch of right things in order to be right with the Lord. Because us, we, the ones who are the true worshipers of God, the ones who are really Christians, who are really saved, we know that I can't count on anything I can do to get right with the Lord. Instead, he says, I can't count on my effort. I count on the effort of Jesus. I count only on what Jesus has done for me. He died for me. He rose from the dead for me. Why am I going to depend on my effort when the effort Jesus made is way better? I mean, could you have better effort than dying for somebody and coming back from the dead for them? And I'm going to measure that up against, oh, I'm wearing a suit. I'm counting on my suit to get me into heaven? No way. I'm counting on what Jesus did to get me into heaven. That's what really makes you a Christian, what really makes you right with God. And then he says, in fact, if anybody could brag about all the good things they've done, 
If anybody could boast about all the effort they've put in to connect with God, to get right with Him, if anybody could make a claim that they were good enough to get saved, to be a Christian, to be right with God, it would be me. And he lists off all these awesome things he's done for the Lord. And I want you to know, I don't know if you'll hear this as pride. I hope you don't hear this as pride. I feel just like that. I don't feel like I'm an apostle. (laughs) I don't feel like I'm Paul. I don't feel like the Lord's asking me to write scripture for people, right? But I feel like I'll stack my effort up against anybody in the world. I think I know God's word well. I think I've spent my life studying it hard. I think I've spent my life trying to do the things God wants me to do. I think I've been studying God's word my whole life, and I would stack up how much Bible I know with anybody in the world. But I feel just like Paul when he gets to this paragraph I'm going to read you today. Because he lists off all those things for him too. I was super religious. I knew everything in God's law. I obeyed all the commandments. And I feel like that. But I feel like this too. And he gets to verse 7. In Philippians chapter 3, this is what he says. I once thought these things were valuable. What things? That phrase, these things, stuck out to me this week. What things? All those things I just listed. All the rituals and the effort and and the works I've done. All the things I've done to be good. All the things I've done to be right with the Lord. Whether it's going to church or studying God's word or memorizing scripture or dressing the right way or speaking with godly words instead of the world's words. Whatever it is, I used to think all those things were valuable. But now I consider them all worthless because of what Christ has done for me. Let me read you the rest of the paragraph. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Isn't that what this series is about? I want to get everything else out of the way so I can know Jesus better, get deeper. For his sake, that stuck out to me this week too. Why do I do this? Not for my sake. For his sake, I've kicked out, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. That's what we talked about last week, isn't it? You've got to kick out all the idols, all the things that have been in the way of your connection with the Lord, that have taken his place on the throne of your life. You've got to kick him out of the way so that you can gain him and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, my own right things, my own good deeds, my own right way of living through obeying God's law. No, instead, I become righteous. I become right with God. I become righteous through faith in Christ. Plus nothing, minus nothing. For God's way of making us right with himself depends not on what I can do, not on how good I can be, not on what ceremonies I've performed or what prayers I've prayed or what cards I've signed or what some preacher told me. It depends on none of that. God's way of making us right with himself depends only on faith. Faith in Jesus. I want to know Christ. This is the verse we're going to spend most of our time on today. Ready? He sums it all up. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him 
sharing in his death. And then he wraps it up by saying, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So that one way or another, I will get to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. So that one way or another, I will get to experience real resurrection, real life. I don't want to be dead any longer. I want to know what it feels like to not feel like I'm at arm's length with the Lord, but to feel like I'm right up close next to him, in love with him every day. I want to know that. I want to be closer. I want to be more intimate. I want the relationship to be deeper. Is that what we're talking about? So if you kicked stuff out of your life last week, this week I want to encourage you to pump some stuff into your life. Can we pump some stuff into our life? Some stuff that's going to fill us up. Some stuff that's going to make our relationship with the Lord deeper. So I want to back up and I want to outline through verse 10 with you. If you're a note taker, jot these down. If you got a phone with you, type some of these in your phone. It'll help you remember them during the week. Even if you don't ever look back at the notes, just writing them down now or jotting them into your phone will help you recall them better during the week. And I want you to remember these things during the week. I'm going to go back through verse 10 with you. Let me read it to you one more time. You ready? He said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I want to go through this verse with you and just outline it the way I outlined it this week. Paul, in this verse, identifies four things that he wants. Four wants. I call them the four wants of Paul. And if we'll want the same things this week, we will get closer to the Lord. You will feel more connected with him. Your relationship with him will be deeper. Let me give you all four of them real quick. You ready? Here's the first one. No. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know Christ. Above all else, this is Paul's top priority. It's his goal in life. And he actually said earlier in the chapter that everything else in the world is garbage compared to that. Compared to knowing Jesus better. Everything else is like garbage. This is what we're talking about in this series, isn't it? So let me ask you on this one, let me ask you, is that your goal in life? Because I know it's not going to happen if it's not your goal. You don't reach goals you don't set. Is that your goal? Here's how you know if that's your goal. You ready? When you make a decision in life, and I mean any decision, do you ever stop to ask yourself the question, will this decision help me know Jesus better? Okay. Now, I can already hear the skeptic and the doubter being like, that's impossible. I can't make every decision with that question in mind. I can't ask that question all the time. How could I ask that question about everything? All right, let's, let's not even fight about that for a second because I think you could ask that about everything, but let's not even fight about that for a second. Let me dumb it down for all of us and just say it this way. Do you ever ask that question? When I'm deciding whether to move out of the house, to move from an apartment to a home, to buy my first car, when I'm deciding to get into a relationship with somebody, when I'm deciding what job to take or what career to go into, when I'm deciding what to major in in school, do I ever ask the question, will that help me know Jesus better? Ever. See, so many of us say, I'm a Christian. I'm right with the Lord because I did all these rituals. Do you want to know him better? Do you ever ask that question when you're making a decision? Or is your decision on what job you're going to take always based on who pays you the most? Is your decision on what school you're going to go to only based on the location and the comfort of the campus? Is the decision on who you're going to date only based on how good they look? 
is the decision for everything you do in life based on if I'm going to know Jesus better on the other side of that decision? Or is it based on something you've decided to put inside of your own heart to fill you up? So i got to set this goal for my life that above all else, I want to know Jesus better. What do I want first? I want to know Christ. Is that your goal? If not, today's the day. Make it the goal. Jesus is still standing right there, right there saying, I'm in the same spot. Turn around. Let's do this thing together. I'm ready to love on you. Okay, Jesus, in my new goal in life, I want to know you above everything else. I want to know you better. Here's the second thing he says he wants. I want to experience, I want to experience the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to know him, and I want to experience the same power that raised him from the dead. Oh, I love this one. I love it. I want resurrection power. There is no greater power than the power over death. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want eternal life, everlasting power over death in the grave? I want that. Is there anything more powerful? And there's nothing in life that helps you connect with somebody or deepen your relationship with them more than what Opie said during the worship time today. Than when you have shared experiences with them. When you sit down across the table or on the same couch with somebody and you tell them all about your life and you hear them say back to you, me too. Me too. I know just what it feels like to be in that situation. You don't think that's true? You can see that nowhere more clearly than in the military. Guys that go into battle together who have never known each other ever, but they're on the same battlefield and they come back from the battlefield and what? Now all of a sudden they're not co-workers. They're not fellow soldiers. They're brothers. Why? Because they shared an experience together, a powerful experience. They watched friends die. They had to go through suffering together. They were scared at the same moment. They know exactly what each other feels like, and they can hang out at the same bar or the same living room or the same restaurant, and they can look at each other, and no matter what the other one says, they can look back and say, me too. That's what makes them so tight. Is there any greater experience you could share with Jesus than to know what it feels like to be raised from the dead like he was? How much more powerful of an experience could you go through? And Paul says, I want to experience that same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. I'm with you, Paul. I'm with you. I want it too. And it's all good so far on the list. I like that half of the list. That's where most people who say they're Christians stop. Yeah, I want to know Jesus better, and I want to experience the same mighty power that he experienced. Come on, give me all the power, Jesus. Help me know you better, Jesus. But he doesn't stop there because now he's going to give you the third thing he wants. I want to suffer with him. I want to suffer with him. What? You had me until there, Paul. I'm not down with that. I mean, I look at the life of Jesus. It was not It was not pleasant. The stuff that's used to describe Jesus, he was homeless. His friends betrayed him. The whole world was against him. He was executed. He was beaten. How many of the things that Jesus suffered do you want to experience? Do you want to go through? Do you want to feel? What do you mean I want to suffer with him? See, I want to know Jesus better. And I want to experience his resurrection power. But I don't really want to suffer with him. Do you? I don't want to experience the same suffering he experienced. Do you? You ever notice how some people 
will make a decision to follow Jesus, only then like a week later or a month later or a few months later, bail. They disappear. And all the stuff they were into before, they're into it even more heavily. You ever notice that? You ever see that? Somebody's like, yeah, I'm with Jesus. I decided to get saved. Like, what's that mean? I don't know, but I did it. I'm like, well, okay. And then, and then three weeks later, they're like, ah, screw the Lord. I'm going to do what I want. I'm out. It's too hard. It's difficult. I don't like it. I'm done. Forget it. Why does that happen? This is why that happens. They didn't read the second half of this verse. They, nobody ever challenged them for the second half of the Christian life. They just said, hey, get to know Jesus, and you can experience his resurrection power. But that's only the first half of the verse. In fact, Jesus explained that this exact same thing would happen back in Matthew chapter 13. You can look it up on your own sometime. But Jesus tells this story about a farmer who goes out and throws a bunch of seed onto the ground. He said he throws the seed everywhere, and the seed falls on all kinds of different dirt. Some of the seed falls right beside the roadway on really hard dirt that's compacted down from wagons or carts or horses, and it's hard, hard dirt. Some of the seed falls on dirt that's got a bunch of rock in it, rocky dirt. Some of the seed falls on dirt that's got a bunch of thorns and weeds in it. And some of the seed falls on dirt that's good dirt, pure, clean dirt. Then he says, let me explain the story. Here's what, the, here's what the story means, he says. The seed that the farmer throws out is like God's word. The good news about Jesus. The message of freedom and salvation and power and resurrection. It's all of my words. He says, I throw it out to everybody. Like a farmer throwing out seed to scatter it around. But it all falls on different people. The four kinds of dirt represent the four kinds of people that God's message will fall on even here this morning. The first one is this hard soil. It's been packed down. And he says the devil comes and snatches that seed away like a bird out of the air before it can even take root. The person doesn't even hear it. They're oblivious to it. Their, their heart is so hard. No matter what you preach, no matter what you show them from God's word, no matter what you tell them about life, they're not going to buy it. They're, it's dead to them. Then there's that ground that's got the weeds and the thorns in it. And that's, he says that's like, that's like the person who, who the, the word of God comes out and it falls on their dirt and it grows down and there's some roots and it grows up real fast. But because these weeds are there, the weeds choke it out and kill it before it can really grow down deep. And he said those weeds are kind of like, uh, uh, um, um, like the cares of this world or he calls them like the things you really want in this world. And so you see this type of person who's like, they hear the message about Jesus, and they're like, that sounds good, I kind of like that, but I don't like that as much as I like to have sex with whoever I want. I don't like that as much as I like to go out and be greedy and stingy with my money. I don't like that as much as I like to just live for myself instead of, any, instead of what God tells me to do. I don't want to give up all the pleasures of this world for Jesus I mean, if he wants to give me everlasting life, shazam, give it to me, I'll take it. But I'm not giving up any of the stuff I like for him. And so those weeds just kind of choke him out. And they're like, ah, I'm just going to go back to the way it was. Then there's the good soil, the soil that the seed falls on, he says. And it takes root, root and it grows down deep. And those people are healthy. And they experience the fullness of Christianity. And they grow up strong and they produce all kinds of fruit and vegetables. Healthy. There's that one kind of soil I left out. It's the one we're talking about today. It's the rocky soil. 
He said, some of that seed falls on rocky ground, and it grows up. It likes what it hears. It grows up, but it never grows deep because underneath there's a layer of bedrock, and it can't grow down deep. So the sun comes out and gets real hot and scorches that plant. And because the roots aren't very deep, it withers away like that. And he explains what he means. These are like the people who hear God's word. They like what they hear. They might make some decision. They might pray some prayer, walk down an aisle, ask somebody to baptism. But then nobody ever told them there was going to be suffering. Nobody ever told them it was going to be hard. And so the first moment of suffering, the first piece of inconvenience comes into their life and they abandon the faith. Their roots never grew down deep. They never realized it'd be hard. They thought it would all be gumdrops and roses. Jesus said these people were coming. The people that wouldn't want to suffer with him. And Paul says, I want to suffer with him. And then he goes to the fourth one. And he says, I want to share in his death. I want to share in his death. Oh, I'm like, I'm like, as if suffering wasn't enough. Now you're saying I got to die too? I'm definitely not down with that. It gets even worse. I have to share in his death too? What do you mean? There's another story where Jesus is sitting around. Matthew chapter 16. You can look this one up on your own sometime too if you want. But Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is sitting around with his closest followers. And he asks them a question. He says, hey guys, who do people say that I am? And they answer, and they're like, oh, people say you're all kinds of different things. Some people say you're like Jeremiah or Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, reincarnated. Some people say you're like John the Baptist. You're like a messenger from God proclaiming the truth. Some people say you're a good teacher. And he says, but who do you guys say that I am? And Peter answers, and he says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, Jesus is more than a teacher that gives you some answers. And he's more than a good guy that hangs out with you for fun. He's more than a powerful prophet that helps you out when you're in a pickle. He's more than a devout man who suffered all kinds of things for his faith. No, he's the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God who died for us and came back from the dead for us. He's the one who died in my place. Because of my failures, because of my disobedience, See, you, you may not understand, but like, I killed him. You killed him. That's who he is. He's more than just a good guy with some cool stories to tell on Sunday mornings. And I have to understand that or I'll never get close to him. I have to understand that I killed him, that I'm responsible. And if I don't, I'll never experience his freedom. Or the power. I'll never know him the way I should know him until I'm actually willing to experience that same death he experienced. You say, you saying I need to get hung on a cross? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you need to be willing to die for him. And I think the Holy Spirit had Paul write this progression in the order he did on purpose. Let me show it to you. Here's how it comes up in the, the verse. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Is that what he said? Right? It's like, I want to know Christ. I want to experience him. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death. But I think the Holy Spirit had Paul write it that way on purpose, because if he wrote it the way it's really supposed to happen in life, we'd quit too early. 
In fact, if you look at the grammar of the sentence, this is really what he's saying, because he's really saying, I want to know Christ. Now, how do I know him? This is how you know him. You have to almost go backwards. I have to be willing to share in his death, which will invite suffering into my life. But that suffering sets me up for resurrection power. How are you going to be resurrected if you're not dead? We get all kinds of Christians running around saying, I want to experience Jesus' power, but I don't want to suffer. I want to know what it feels like to be raised from the dead just like he was, but I don't want to die. Well, how's he going to resurrect something that won't die? So i got to be willing to die here first, which will invite suffering into my life, which opens me up to the potential of being able to experience his resurrection power. And when all that happens, that's how I know him better. See, as I die each day to my own desires, maybe even have to die physically for my faith, I suffer like Jesus suffered. But it positions me to receive this power he's offering me. And I want to experience that power, but it's only available to those who are suffering and dying like Jesus did. Paul wrote this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I still live. But it's not I who lives, it's now Jesus who lives in me. And the life that I continue to live, I live not by my own effort, not by my performance, not by ritual. I live by faith and faith alone in the Son of God who loved me enough to give his life for me. Each day I have to die. This process in the Bible has got a fancy theological word. It's called sanctification comes up a few times in the Bible. It just simply means the lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. That every day God's goal for your life is you be a little bit more like Jesus. Sanctification it's called. But I need you to know today that sanctification comes through suffering. And I don't like it either. I wish sanctification just came from like fairy dust. But it doesn't. It comes from suffering, which is why the Bible says things like consider it joy when difficult times come into your life because those difficult times make you endure more. They create more patience in you. They make you tougher so you can put up with more. Suffering makes you more like Jesus. It may not always be physical suffering, although sometimes it is. Often it will be suffering you have to adore by walking away from a relationship that you've been holding on to. Now you feel lonely. Or suffering you have to endure because you sacrificed your time to serve somebody else and you'd rather go lay around and do your own thing. This suffering might show up as pushing yourself to study your Bible when you'd rather sleep or going without access to certain media outlets to protect your eyes from danger. It might mean saying no to some things in your schedule so you can say yes to some things on God's agenda. It's a form of suffering. But you have to invite that suffering into your life if you really want to be sanctified, if you really want to go through this progression and experience God's power and know what it feels like to be raised from the dead like Jesus was and to know him deeper. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to give you three practical steps you can take out of here to make this happen in your life. Because now, so far, we just talk like in theory. Okay? I want to give you three quick, easy, practical steps that you can put into practice this week to get to know Jesus better, to follow this progression Paul's talking about. You know, you're not going to like them. Just jot them down, put them in your phone, say them to yourself over and over, do them this week. You ready? Here's the first one. You ready? 
Pray for suffering in your life. I wonder if anybody in the room's ever done that. That's, that's the opposite of how we pray, right? I pray for God to take suffering away. But if you really want to know Jesus better, then start praying for the same kind of suffering he experienced, recognizing that it's that kind of suffering that's going to toughen me up and make me more like him. Pray for it. Ask God for it. God, here's what it sounds like. sounds something like this. God, do whatever it takes this week to make me a little bit more like Jesus. And if that means I got to hurt, bring the hurt. If that means I got to go without something I love, then I got to go without it. Whatever it takes, God, strip it out of my life. Rip it away from me. Hit me over the head with it. Let the hammer follow me. Whatever it's going to take for me to be a little bit more like Jesus, I want that this week. And if it means suffering, bring the suffering, Lord. Number two, put yourself into Jesus' situations. Put yourself in Jesus' situations. What are Jesus' situations? Well, think about his life for a second. He always put others first. He always put others first. He always had the courage to speak boldly about his faith. And he always pointed everybody else to God. Now, if you do those things, if you go out of here this week and you put other people's needs or wants ahead of your own, and you have the courage to speak up about your faith to the people around you, and you do whatever you can do to point other people to God, you will endure suffering for it. You might suffer in giving up your time because you're helping other people before yourself. You might suffer ridicule because you're always talking about your faith. You might suffer rejection because when you try to point people to God, a lot of them are going to say, no, I don't want that. But that's okay. you got to remember, number one, that suffering brings sanctification. Suffering helps me know Jesus better. So pray for suffering in your life. Put yourself in Jesus' situations and then practice spiritual disciplines. What are spiritual disciplines? Well, they're just things like read my Bible, pray, come to church, be accountable to some other people in my life about the stuff I'm struggling with, share my feelings honestly out loud with somebody on a regular basis, serve other people in my life. Practice those things even if I don't feel like it. There's a little bit of, there's a little bit of suffering. Let's, let's be honest. There's a little bit of suffering in committing to coming to church every week. It's a little bit of suffering. I'm the preacher. I have, a, I have that same suffering. There's weeks I wake up, I'd rather stay home. I know you guys, I don't know if you guys think I'm like an angel or I don't know what you think of me, but it's like there's Sundays I wake up and I'm like, oh gosh, I feel awful. I'd love to just roll back over and turn the TV on. I, I, always, I always feel like that. I'd, I'd always rather just stay home and hang out with my kids. There's a little bit of suffering that comes to that kind of commitment. There's a little bit of suffering that comes into your life when you decide you're going to read something from God's word every day i got to walk away from whatever I've been doing and spend 10 minutes reading the Bible. There's a little bit of suffering that comes from serving other people because a lot of them aren't going to be grateful. A lot of them aren't going to say thank you, especially your kids. But you just serve them. I practice those disciplines because that level of suffering, though it's minor in comparison to being hung on a cross and beaten to death and betrayed by all your friends and having your family reject who you say you are and, and having the whole world come against you, it's minor in comparison to all that. I get it, but that's our examples of suffering like Jesus suffered. And then when you do these three things this week, I want to challenge you not to ABC. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but don't ABC. It's easy to ABC through these things and miss the blessing from all of them. Here's what it means. Ready? A is abandon. Don't abandon. Don't blame. Don't complain. Don't abandon. Don't blame. Don't complain. Don't abandon the faith. Don't blame everyone else for it. And don't complain about all your circumstances. Because that's what happens when we experience suffering. Typically. 
We're inviting suffering into our life this week. You get that, right? If you want to be closer to Jesus, invite some suffering into your life. But when it comes, then don't abandon the faith because it's gotten too hard, right? Don't blame everyone else for it because you asked for it. And don't complain about it because you're going to miss the reward of it. At any time in Jesus' life when he was suffering in all the ways he suffered, did you ever once say, hear him say, I quit? I'm giving up on this whole God thing. Did you ever once hear or read anything in the Bible where he says, it's everybody else's fault? I shouldn't have to go through this. I'm the king of the universe, don't you know? Did you ever once hear him complaining about how bad his life was? No, so don't, don't ABC it. I know it's easy to sit there and think to yourself like, oh, Jesus, he didn't ever have to put up with this kind of stuff you're talking about. He didn't know what it was like to have his whole family turn their back on, really. Did you read his life? He didn't know what it felt like to have his closest friends stab him in the back, really. Did you read his story? He didn't know what it feels like to be beaten and whipped, really. Have you read his story? He didn't know what it felt like to feel like the whole world was against him, really. He doesn't know what that stuff feels like. He didn't know what it felt like to be single his whole life. Really? He didn't know. Did you read his life? He doesn't know what it's like to be lonely. He doesn't know what it's like to be sad, to lose someone close to him. Did you even read the stories about him in the Bible? He knows what it's like. We don't have a king. We don't have a high priest. We don't have a savior that doesn't understand what it's like to suffer. No, he suffered exactly like we're suffering. But yet he didn't abandon the faith. He didn't blame everyone else for it. He didn't complain about it. He stayed the course. He trusted God. He kept pushing through it, even when it meant suffering, even to the point of death. This is how I become like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. I know it sounds hard. Maybe you sound like it's not worth it. Listen to how Paul describes this suffering in Romans 8.18. He says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory God will reveal to us later. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, Paul writes it this way. Our present troubles are small, won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Let me say it this way. Whatever is more important to you than Jesus will keep you from knowing Jesus better. Whatever is more important to you than Jesus will keep you from experiencing the power that Jesus is offering you for your life. Jesus is standing in the exact same spot he's always been standing, inviting you to turn around, to have relationship with him, to be in love with him, to know what it feels like to be closer and more intimate with him, waiting for you to surrender your life and your will to him so he can rescue and redeem your life and take all the ashes and make something beautiful out of them. When it comes right down to it, we have to get honest and look in the mirror and simply say to God, it's not you, it's me. The problem here is me, Lord. I've been playing some game. I've been thinking Christianity was something it's not. I only, thought, I only saw half the picture. I didn't know you really wanted me to suffer. I didn't know you really wanted me to die to myself every day. I didn't know you wanted me to sacrifice and give up. I just thought I prayed some prayer and you'd take me to heaven. I thought it was like a, a party I got to go to. I didn't know there was another half of it. I want to invite you today just to be honest with yourself 
and to have enough courage to look in the mirror and say to God, God, there's a disconnect here. I felt a little strained in our relationship. Like I'm not as close as I'd want to be. Like I can see other people being with you. But I recognize now it's not you. It's me. And then go out of here this week and just pray for suffering. I know it sounds different. Pray for suffering. Put yourself in Jesus' situations. Invite all that suffering into your life, no matter how hard it is. Don't complain about it. Don't blame others. Don't abandon the faith. Stick to it. And see if Jesus doesn't expose you to some resurrection power. See if at the end of the week you don't know him just a little bit better. Practice spiritual disciplines. Pray for suffering. Put yourself in Jesus' situations. You can do it if you got courage. Will you rise up and have courage this week to live the other half of the Christian life that everybody's been ignoring? I know you kicked some idols out of your life last week. Excellent. Let's pump some Jesus stuff into our life this week and see if he doesn't give us more. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for the people who were able to be here today. Pray for all those who couldn't be here. God, would you give us some healing in our church? And God, would you give each of us in this room the courage to walk out of here today and to know you better by inviting suffering into our life, by dying to ourselves every day so we can experience your power. In Jesus' name I pray.